This week's episode is brought to you by Wolverine, The Lost Trail. Marvel just released season two of their scripted podcast, Wolverine, The Lost Trail, for free. The first season was awesome. I'm a massive Wolverine fan, so I can't wait to check out this season. And this season picks up where season one left off. Wolverine is headed to New Orleans in search of redemption. As he follows a trail of clues through the bayou, he encounters biker gangs, a mutant called Gambit, and a world full of dark wonders. The podcast stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine. You can listen to Wolverine The Lost Trail for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Seriously, check it out. I link the trailer in the show notes. This week on Myths and Legends, we're wrapping up part one of The Monkey King from Chinese folklore. We'll learn how being able to tuck a Mack truck behind your ear can solve most problems, and how crashing a party, stealing all the hors d'oeuvres, and taking a wine nap might just get you and your friends immortality. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's an angry, surly unicorn with a long, hairy horn. This is Myths and Legends, episode 148b, Leaps and Bounds. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the show, the Monkey King, Sun Wukong, was born from a rock on the Flower Fruit Mountain and quickly rose up to be the King Monkey. He learned martial arts, transformations, and the elixir of immortality from an immortal sage and came back to make alliances with the dragons, unicorns, and everything else surrounding his mountain. He coerced the Dragon King into giving him the Monkey King equivalent of Thor's hammer, a golden staff that could change size and weight and that only he could lift. The four Dragon Kings of the Sea had a problem with this, though, and they had even more of a problem when the Monkey King beat their teeth from their heads. Things were going well for the Monkey King until the gods of the underworld decided he was getting too powerful and sent their generals to bring him in. Stand down, the handsome Monkey King commanded. Confused, his generals held up their paws, a halt rippling through the ranks, like a beastly set of 40,000 monkey soldier dominoes. The troops obeyed, though clearly up in arms. Wasn't their leader immortal? And if so, why was he now being captured and dragged behind agents of the gods of death? He would handle it, Sun Wukong assured them all. He was in control, and they must all stand down, right now. With a few years' time, a few thousand weapons, and one epic montage of training scenarios, the Monkey King had whipped his group of monkeys into the greatest fighting force the world had ever seen. They would do anything for him, even let him be captured if he commanded it. The fighters stepped aside, watching helplessly as the enemy paraded their bound leader through the city, across the Iron Bridge, and through the waterfall. On his way, Sun Wukong tried to make small talk with the Generals of Death, or whatever their titles were, but they were all so grim and self-serious that his attempts fell flat. They sailed and marched and sailed and marched, his captors not really caring that Sun Wukong could make this whole trip in 15 minutes, including a 10-minute bathroom break, and seriously, would they be stopping for the bathroom anytime soon? They rolled their eyes and dragged the Monkey King along, and soon, they arrived outside the Land of Darkness. It was then that Sun Wukong stopped walking and held up his hands. Hey, hold up. Would they mind holding on to something for him? His hands flicked something in the direction of two of the generals. 
they squinted at the tiny object. Was that... Huh. It was some golden needle? Thanks, Sun Wukong said, before muttering something under his breath. In the blink of an eye, the magical staff was no longer a small needle, weighing practically nothing, but an actual staff, the size and weight of a Mack truck. Both generals were immediately crushed, as Sun Wukong did a backflip. As he did, he landed next to his staff, which was already shrinking to a manageable size. He snatched it up and turned to face the other two generals and their armies. It wasn't until the generals, their armies, and many others who'd flooded from the city were, quote, turned to pace by the handsome monkey king and his staff, that, finally, voices called for an ending of the conflict. A parley, the surrounding army parted, allowing ten humans through. Sun Wukong lowered his staff. They were the ten kings of the underworld, the emperors of darkness, as they called themselves, in what would be an excellent name for a heavy metal band. Among them were, quote, the king of avenging ministers, King Yama, king of equal ranks, king of city markets, king of complete change, and king of the turning wheel. The monkey king didn't bow, but instead approached them as equals. He began, since they were kings, they must be smart, and since they were smart, they must know what they were doing was illegal. He had acquired the Tao and obtained immortality. This was outside their jurisdiction. The kings held up their hands and told him, one, uh, slow your roll and stop turning our people into paste over a misunderstanding, and two, a lot of people have the same name. There was obviously a mix-up. Wait, your heaven can wait in me? Sun Wukong said, hands on hips. Uh, no, no, no. How many other Sun Wukong, the handsome monkey kings, are there? I mean, come on. This wasn't a mix-up. This was a conspiracy to trap him in the land of the dead. He motioned aggressively. He wanted to see those records. Deciding to let their bluff be called later rather than right now, the emperors of darkness agreed. He could see the records. But if Sun Wukong was an error, he would be staying with them. In the end, the records of birth and death, the only thing governing the lifespan of every mortal thing on earth, really could have been more organized. It took them no less than a few hours to locate Sun Wukong's file. But at last they did. And this is from the original. He was soul number 1350, the heaven-born stone monkey. The record room for the MO through MU files was a small one. So only the monkey king and the record keeper were in there. Ah, there it is, said the monkey king. Heaven-born stone monkey. Oh, 342 years. That's how old I am. Cool. Hey, is this the brush you use to write on all these things? The record keeper nodded. He, uh, he should really go get the emperors before the monkey king touched anything in here. If the monkey king didn't mind, the record keeper was just going to ask him to step out in the hall and, oh, hey, why was he pulling a needle from behind his ear? Cut to just outside the record room and the record keeper flying through the air before slamming clumsily against the wall in the hallway. Instantly, the door slammed shut. Of course, it didn't take long for the emperors of darkness to get the room open, but when they did, the damage was already done. Sun Wukong was standing there with an impish grin. The emperors of darkness flew to their records and looked up, shaking with rage. In the moments that Sun Wukong had been alone with the records, he had taken a brush to all the monkeys he could remember. They now had no record of birth or death in the land of darkness. They were as ageless as the mountains and the oceans. He had done what he set out to do. The emperors of darkness flooded into the room, sneering at the monkey king. And then they touched his forehead. 
Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, gasped awake. The warm air of the afternoon, underneath the tree where he had been napping, had put him to sleep. He sat up. The dream of the land of the dead, the emperors of darkness, using his staff as a pestle to bepace the emperor's servants was already quickly fading, like a fog in the morning sun. He sprung up and ran to his generals, who told him to calm down. He had just taken a mid-afternoon wine nap. Why was he so excited? Sun Wukong shared that this wasn't just any normal wine nap. No, this was one where they came out immortal. He explained it to the astonishment of all who listened. They sent emissaries to the animal kings in the area. And, after that, they all had a massive party. In heaven, however, there was a much different scene. There was no party, no celebration. As his title goes, the great benevolent sage of heaven, the celestial jade emperor of the most venerable Deva, who was holding court in the treasure hall of divine mists, in the cloud palace of the golden arches, which might be the most upscale McDonald's ever, was having a bad day. And having a bad day wasn't easy to do when you were an eternal celestial emperor. You see, the four sea dragon kings had stopped by earlier. Now, the dragon king, the one last episode where the monkey king brought 40,000 buddies to politely ask for the staff. Well, he was here, and he had a lot of complaints. Now, the Jade Emperor was like a god. He was basically the supreme god of the Chinese mythological pantheon. He's not really associated with creation, but he still sits at the top, governing over justice and morality. Anyway, he was immortal, but he still had protectors and armor and guards. And you gave him the golden staff? The Jade Emperor demanded, already knowing the answer. The Dragon King nodded. The Monkey King had 40,000 angry monkeys outside his gate. Yeah, and now he has 40,000 angry monkeys and an eight-ton magic staff. Great work. Uh, and immortality, they heard from the back. The crowd parted as the ten emperors of darkness stepped forward. Yeah. When they heard about the Dragon King and Sun Wukong's growing power, they tried to nip it in the bud and bring him in, getting him caught up in years of paperwork so he'd be stuck in the underworld forever. But he already knew he was immortal, of course. And also, when their guys picked him up, they didn't think the needle behind his ear was a weapon. Thanks for that, by the way, the Emperors of Darkness said to the Dragon King. He used his eight-ton staff to turn their best fighters into a paste with the consistency of a good pesto. And he got away, the Jade Emperor asked, and then sighed as the Emperors of Darkness waited. Why did he get the feeling there was going to be an and to the statement? The Emperors of Darkness fidgeted with their hats and looked at the ground. They, they had left him alone with the M records and he wiped out his own name and like a lot of monkeys from the books. He was now forever beyond the jurisdiction of the gods of death, alongside a considerable number of newly immortal monkeys. They were still going through the records to assess the damage, but it was considerate. How was he so fast? The Jade Emperor demanded. One of the Dragon Kings of the Ocean raised a claw. A few of his teeth dropping to the floor as he opened his mouth. He shared that the Monkey King could change his form. A lot. In their fight alone, he must have taken ten different forms, changing his skin to a hard oak or stone, jumping into the air with the speed of the wind, darting through the water like a dolphin. 
guys, seriously, what is going on? He's a monkey. How did he become an immortal being completely beyond the reach of death with the ability to fight four dragon gods at once and command an army of 40,000 at least partially immortal monkeys? The assembled gods and emperors nodded to one another. Yeah, that was a pretty solid assessment of the situation. Okay, well now we really need to bring this guy in, the emperor said as he sat back and pinched the bridge of his nose. The assembled beings piped up. And how should they plan on doing that? Given all the stuff the Jade Emperor just said? The Jade Emperor looked up. Seriously? This was why he was in charge. They weren't going to bring him in with force. They were going to recruit him. Bring him into the fold. The Monkey King had earned his place in heaven. Sun Wukong looked down on his new celestial position, on the 1,000 divine horses before him. He didn't know what he expected when he'd been granted a heavenly position, but he knew it certainly was not this. So, I'm not a divine, ageless emperor. Didn't know if you knew that about me or not. But if you're trying to get a newly immortal hotshot to stop causing trouble by bribing him, maybe the bone you throw him shouldn't be covered in divine manure. The official position translated roughly, was ban horse plague, because in Chinese mythology, monkeys are said to ward off sicknesses in horses. It was, quite literally, a match made in heaven. And it can't be said that Sun Wukong didn't try to make it work. Within the first two weeks, he went through the lists, inspected the horses, talked to the accountants about getting supplies, because I guess you can't be a divinely supreme jade emperor in charge of justice and reality, and still not have to run stuff by accounting. And whenever people took the horses out, they found them fed, happy, and rested. Sun Wukong excelled at horsemanship. And one day, when he was at the Celestial Banquet, he asked the guy sitting next to him, Horse manager, was it a great position or the greatest position? The guy didn't understand. So Sun Wukong elaborated. What ministerial grade was he? You know, what rank? Oh, that was easy, came the reply. It didn't have one. Sun Wukong sat back and smiled. Excellent. So, it was like how when people were talking about the worth of something super great, they would say, priceless, instead of putting a number on it. The guy took another bite. Sure, he hadn't spent a ton of time on Earth, but if priceless and worthless were synonymous, then yeah, his position was priceless. The Monkey King knew that he was the lowest of the low among Celestials, right? If the horses became fat, that's a beating. If they were too skinny, that's a beating. If they were ever hurt, ooh, you better believe that's a beating. As the realization sunk in, Sun Wukong returned to his desk, seething. He was a king. He had left the flower fruit mountain for this, and they made him what, a stable boy? Now, the Celestials might have thought that the monkey should be grateful. He had been born a monkey, and now he had a role in heaven. He was also ageless. Take the win some might say. But, call it arrogance or a healthy dose of self-respect, Sun Wukong knew that he deserved better. He kicked his desk, sending it splintering against the wall across the room. He plucked up his staff from his hair, ready to give any celestial guardian who tried to stand in his way the same treatment as his desk, and left. Straight out the gate of heaven, he went. Turning into a cloud, he flew for the flower fruit mountain. He had been gone for a couple of weeks, 
but he had a plan. And then he saw them. The monkeys he had made immortal hadn't changed. But the others were now considerably older. It was then that he learned that he hadn't been gone 15 days, but 15 years. Each day in heaven was a year on earth. The monkeys' generals were glad he was back, though. Because, well, the demons. The monkey king rolled his eyes and his staff extended. All right, where were they? Oh, and would someone bring a mop and a bucket of water this time? If the demon bits dried, they were impossible to get out of the grout. But the monkey generals stopped their king. No, for once the demons weren't attacking. They, like all the other creatures on the island, had come to bow down to the monkey king. And bow they did. Sun Wukong took it in stride, but seeing as they were actual demons, remained a little wary that, you know, they'd lie and try to destroy everything. After all, that was pretty much their whole thing. They said they were so impressed that Sun Wukong had successfully completed his mission in heaven. What had he done? What was his rank? Reluctantly, Sun Wukong shared that it was... <sighs> Ban Horse Plague. He was in charge of the horses. Oh, was that a great position? Or the greatest position? The demons asked their new king. The monkey king's face lit up and he pointed. I know, that's what I thought. But get this, it was the worst position. Like, bottom of the bottom. No rank whatsoever. The demons laughed. What? The handsome monkey king was shamed by heaven? That was, wow. Just wow. In their mind, and this is just them talking, Sun Wukong could just march right up there and demand the rank of great sage, equal to heaven. What would anyone do? Not seeing that working back around to leading the monkeys' alliances into a war with heaven might actually be the demonic endgame, the monkey king walked right into it. You know what? Yeah, he saw their power, or lack thereof, he had turned more than a few celestial guardians into greasy stains on the walls on his way out. And with his kingdom of immortal monkeys, allied with dragons, unicorns, phoenixes, and demons, they would be unstoppable. He turned to his monkeys. They were to get sewing, because he wanted some new banners for his coming war. Ones that read, Sun Wukong, the great sage, equal to heaven. He smiled. He liked the sound of that. We'll come back to everyone just making really great decisions, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. The Mighty Spirit God, the general sent to retrieve Sun Wukong and drag him back to heaven for abandoning his post, returned to heaven, but only barely. He had relished the charge of bringing the monkey back to answer for his crimes. I mean... The guy's name was Mighty Spirit God. He didn't have much to worry about, right? Except that when he had found the Monkey King's army of dragons, phoenixes, lizards, monkeys, insects, and everything else defending Sun Wukong's waterfall cave home, he'd been forced to demand the Monkey King show himself. It was only after the Mighty Spirit God's axe broke and the animals tore into his army that the Monkey King let him retreat, saying that he was letting the inappropriately named Mighty Spirit God live in order to send a message. What Sun Wukong's monkeys had embroidered onto these banners, equal of heaven, that was what it would take to stop the oncoming war. Well, 
the Jade Emperor got the message, but he didn't get the message. He sent more champions, and each one came back humbled, one after another. The Monkey King transformed into a creature with three heads and six arms, a weapon in each hand for the second fight, and the third fight didn't happen. The general decided that, after all the humiliations, he wouldn't fight. He went to talk with the Jade Emperor. When the armies of heaven descended on the Flower Fruit Mountain for the third time, it was with a decree. They were to address the great sage, equal of heaven himself. Sun Wukong was spirited away to his new post, one of actual rank this time, and dove right into his new task, guarding the Garden of Immortal Peaches. Being, essentially, a god, the Monkey King sat back in contentment. He had done it. And he lived happily ever after. <sighs> if only. Cut to a few months later, and we arrive on a new scene. Sun Wukong had been chucked into a fiery crucible and burned alive without chemical fire for 49 days. Basically, the gods kept making the same mistake. They underestimated Sun Wukong, but they also disrespected him. Always a climber, he had earned not just immortality, but a place in the heavens. His title was Great Sage, equal to heaven, after all. Though, that was only after he forced it out of the most powerful beings in the universe. Still, those in charge did not respect his mobility or his intelligence. They only saw him as a monkey, and they would only ever see him as a monkey. They made this perfectly clear, too, because even though he was given a title, put in charge of the Peach Garden of Immortality, and granted control of a mansion named, quote, Peace and Quiet, he would never be one of them. It all started when the maidens arrived, sent from the Queen of Heaven herself, to gather peaches for the festival of immortal peaches. It was then that Sun Wukong learned two things. One, no, he was not invited, but two, yes, they would actually need his super backflip to go invite devas, bodhisattvas, gods, goddesses, really everyone who was anyone. The Monkey King glared at them and then froze the maidens in place with his magic. And now, now Sun Wukong was upset. So upset that he gatecrashed the party in the form of a god whose invitation was uh, lost in the mail but he proceeded to get drunk on the good wine and attempted to sneak out with a pocket full of hors d'oeuvres. When people started getting suspicious, he chewed up his chest hair again and made bugs that, when they landed on the faces of all the beans filtering into the party, put them to sleep with a single bite. Now, all of this might have been forgivable. No one knew that it was Sun Wukong, though I imagine pretty much everyone suspected him, rightfully or not. It was only because, at home, reeling from the wine and munching on snacks, Sun Wukong realized that he wasn't at home at all, but he had stumbled in his drunkenness into the palace with arms and pockets full of stolen party food. Looking all around and sifting through his stolen food, Sun Wukong realized that he was in trouble because in his drunken stupor, he had broken into the kitchen and he drank the Jade Emperor's immortality elixir, the one that he used for, I guess, a top-up of immortality every few millennia. In a flash the Monkey King turned himself invisible, snuck out of the Heaven Gate, and somersaulted down to the Flower Fruit Mountain. He would wait it out until the heat died down, and also surround himself with his violent monkey army and his allies, should the heat not die down. Well, of course it didn't. For some reason, the Jade Emperor was furious that the monkey had lied to his advisors, threatened and imprisoned the Queen's servants, got drunk at a party he wasn't invited to in the first place, 
had eaten the immortal peaches, and yeah, we didn't mention that, he was absolutely snacking on the immortal peaches he was supposed to guard, and drank the emperor's elixir. Well, the celestial army besieged the flower fruit mountain, and this time, they weren't messing around. They surrounded the mountain so tightly that not even water could escape. Quickly, 18 sets of cosmic nets were spread out above and below the entire region. Still, the Monkey King held out, proving quite the challenge for a thousand warriors from heaven. At last, it seemed the monkey had met his match. His name was the Immortal Master, a massive demon king and the nephew of the Jade Emperor himself, who came and challenged Sun Wukong to a contest of transformations. Mid-battle, monkey and demon king each changed themselves into beings a 100,000 feet tall and began fighting it out like King Kong and Godzilla. All the while, their respective armies swarming the cave of the Flower Fruit Mountain. One after another, the Celestial Army captured as many of the monkey monsters as they could. Distracted, Sun Wukong shrunk to help his people, and that's when the Immortal Master literally gained the upper hand. He captured the Monkey King immediately, and took him to heaven to answer for his numerous crimes. The problem with executing an immortal, however, was that, well, they were immortal. They tied Sun Wukong to a monster-subduing pillar and slashed him with scimitars, cut him with an axe, stabbed him with a spear, and hacked at him with a sword. But nothing happened. The monkey shrugged. He was immortal several times over at this point. Better luck next time. And that's how he ended up in a fiery crucible. It was the brazier of eight trigrams where he was smelted by the high and low heat, meant to separate him from the elixirs he had taken, the ones that had made his body like a diamond. It, of course, didn't take. He hid away from the flame in the crucible, waiting for the opportunity to spring forth and make a break for it. But as he did, the smoke blew into his eyes, turning them red and giving him a weakness he would live with for the rest of his days. In one last surge, the hungry, angry and tired monkey fought his way through, burst from the crucible, and ran from the palace. Now, the Jade Emperor had been alerted to the monkey, and he knew he couldn't bargain with him, kill him, or reason with him. Their plans had all failed because they thought they were better than him, more powerful than him. Apparently, they weren't. They were treating him like an annoyance, and they should have been treating him like a rogue god. The Jade Emperor nodded to himself as this realization took hold. Rising from the throne, the Emperor announced that it was time to take this Monkey King seriously. It was time to call on the Buddha himself. The Monkey King, surrounded by hundreds of beaten celestial beings, tucked his staff back behind his ear. He looked on the humble and simply dressed man who stood before him, the monkey had stormed in, full of bluster. He didn't want just any place in heaven. He wanted the place in heaven. He had eyes for the throne of the Jade Emperor himself. If it wasn't given to him, all the destruction he had brought so far would be nothing to the chaos he would continue to rain down on the Emperor until the palace was his. The Buddha laughed. This monkey was little more than a beast who obtained some level of enlightenment. The Jade Emperor had been studying religion since birth. At this, the Monkey King smiled. Fine, he'd just continue the war. 
He raised his staff and called the Buddha's bluff. The Buddha nodded and stepped forward. Well played. Okay, here's a deal. Sun Wukong put away his staff because the Buddha had a test for him. Jump over his palm. The staff shrunk in the monkey king's hand. That's... What? Jump, jump over his palm? The Buddha nodded. Exactly. He held out his hand. The monkey bragged that he could jump 108,000 miles, right? Well, then it shouldn't be that difficult, chuckled the Buddha. Prove it. Jump over my palm, and the Buddha would take the Jade Emperor with him into the West. And the Monkey King would have dominion over this whole world. The monkey tried to restrain his excitement. It was too simple. Too easy. He smelled a trick, but it was still worth a shot. He crouched and somersaulted. In an instant, he was thousands of feet above the earth. And, a few moments later, he was over a hundred thousand miles away. He slammed into the earth and rose. He had never tried flexing his powers to their fullest extent before, and he had no idea where he was. He stood on a mountain, a tall, narrow rock jutting up from the mists high into the sky. They seemed to be holding up the sky. There were five pillars. The monkey looked all around. Well, he passed the test. One jump and he would be home. But who would believe him? He plucked a chest hair and put it into his mouth. Spitting it out, it became a brush. And he painted on one of the pillars, essentially, the great sage, equal to heaven, was here. Then, being the classy monkey that he was, he peed on the pillars. When he finished, he backflipped back to the heavens and to the Buddha. Sun Wukong held out his palm, grasping at the air. Celestial palace, please. The Buddha glared and shook the urine from his hand. The monkey king was confused. Wait, why did the Buddha pee on his own hand? The Buddha waved him forward. What did his middle finger say? Sun Wukong inspected it. The great sage, equal to heaven, was here. His eyes widened. This magic, it was impossible. He furrowed his brow at the Buddha and crouched to get as far away as possible. But the Buddha turned his hand over and the monkey king flew off the world. He landed hard in a faraway land in the midst of five more pillars. This time, he knew what they were. The pillars became five mountains and the monkey king shook his head. This wasn't happening. He had learned everything he needed to. He had earned his place, and despite them throwing up roadblocks every step of the way, he had risen. It wasn't fair. He crouched to somersault, but it was too late. The mountains closed over him. Everything went dark. For the first time in the past year, since the Monkey King had found his way up to heaven, all was quiet. It all remained quiet, as the Celestials celebrated their victory over the Monkey Monster, as they called him, and the Buddha returned to the West. It remained quiet, as the threat that the Monkey presented faded into memory, and trees and moss grew on the mountains that contained him. The days grew into years, years into decades, and decades into centuries. The Monkey King... Sun Wukong became a forgotten relic of an ancient time, a myth, a legend of a beast that grew beyond his station 
and wanted more than he apparently had any right to do. And there he would remain, for over 500 years, until he was needed. Until a monk needed a protector, someone strong enough to take him west, someone who needed a chance to atone for what he had done. get back to the story of the Monkey King. He doesn't know it yet, but he's become part of a larger universe, and he'll be one of the four guardians who will accompany the monk on his journey to the west, a journey we will get much farther into at a later date. I don't really like to get into supposed meanings behind these stories, but the Monkey King, to me, seems like a cautionary tale about social mobility. He's the obvious protagonist, despite his crude and disrespectful behavior, and he seems to always want to push past his station in life. It works out for him until it doesn't, and I can absolutely see the areas where he overplayed his hand. That being said, the continual lack of respect on behalf of the Celestials for the up-and-comer, paired with their borderline pathological inability to give him what he was due, makes it easy to see why Sun Wukong will be so frustrated, and how it would lead to a feedback loop of him having less respect for them and becoming more entrenched, leading to, of course, the Celestials seeing the monkey as some rude beast and becoming more entrenched in their position. We'll see how everyone is feeling when Sun Wukong has about 500 years to cool off. Next week, we're going to Japan, and it's the story of Momotaro, the boy who came from a peach. And we'll see how parenting is never easy, but it is so much more difficult if your kids are hearing a call to adventure and going to fight a fortress full of heavily armed cannibal demons. I want to say thanks to B. Forrester, author, Hounds of the Baskerville, 2213, Shell 236661, Kira Alex Three Robin, Mocha Sky Chick, Nicholas Allen, definitely not an Olympian, good, because you'd be very mad if you listened to this podcast, Lil Myth Boy, and Bumblebean 101 for the reviews in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for leaving a review. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a knapsack sleep hood, a cloth hood to put over your head so you can nap anywhere. Okay. You can get extra episodes, source back ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that aren't the first step in every movie kidnapping ever. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Nizuzu from the folklore of Africa. The Nizuzu is a unicorn, and I'm not sure if we've mentioned this on the podcast. But unicorns, far from their modern incarnations, all rainbow and sparkles, were actually pretty aggressive and ruthless. They had those horns, and they used them. The Nizuzu is brown and a little larger than a zebra, and he was absolutely ready to attack if a threat presented itself, or even if a threat doesn't present itself. Unlike many folklore of unicorns, the horn doesn't have the ability to detect poison, purify, or heal, but it does have another somewhat more interesting power? His alicorn, the actual name for the unicorn's horn, ranges from two feet long and covered in hair to a mere 10 inches. Also, unlike many modern depictions of unicorns, this horn is retractable in a way. And no, not in a cool Wolverine way, but in a way that would make even Freud blush. It apparently deflates and shrinks like a balloon to get out of the way, 
only to turn into a unicorn horn at the right time. Yeah. Sticking with his awkward theme, the female Nizuzu do not have horns. And honestly, at that point, I don't know quite what distinguishes them from a regular horse. This creature has been around a long time, with the earliest depictions appearing in cave paintings. A potential explanation for this is that, the, is that it's just a simple antelope drawn in profile, or that it was a two-horned animal that just got injured and apparently became legendary, and not a weird, angry unicorn with a curly, hairy horn. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Myths and Legends listeners, get 10% off your first month with the discount code LEGENDS. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com legends and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. All right, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. 